The Energy Transition Podcast takes you directly to the cutting edge of the global energy sector's shift with a specific focus on the critical role played by oil and gas, as well as the pathways developing around a lower carbon future. Your hosts, Leslie Beyer, Energy Workforce and Technology Council CEO, and Dan Pickering, founder of Pickering Energy Partners, are joined by Josh Lowry, president of Upright Digital. Each episode engages industry thought leaders in an exploration of market-moving trends and topics, including new technologies, ESG, capital markets, inclusion and diversity, workforce innovation, regulatory influences, and the voice of the people. Join us as the Energy Transition Podcast looks at the state of the traditional energy and oil field service sectors emerging technologies, and the path ahead in a world of lower carbon energy development. Welcome to the Energy and Transition Podcast. My name is Josh Lowry. We are coming to you live from Houston, Texas in the Fletch Azul Podcast Studio. I am joined, I would say as normal or with the co-host extraordinaire, but we have a guest co-host extraordinaire who has been with us before uh, on one of our other podcasts as a guest, but not as a guest host, Mr. Tim Tarpley with the Energy Workforce and Technology Council. How are you, Tim? Doing well. Good to be here, Josh. Um, are you excited to be a co-host today rather than a guest? I am very excited because I get to ask the questions. It's much easier to right. be a host than it is a guest. I, I'm looking forward to it. You, last time you were with us, it was during, I mean, straight during COVID, and you were on the O360 podcast with us, kind of updating us on some, really what was going on with PPP and a lot of like the world of during the, the craziness. What have you been up to? I mean, I know that's been 18 months, 24 months. What have you been up to? Well, um, you know, obviously the the uh, policy world has, has changed dramatically. Um, the energy industry is is back. I mean, we're, we're, the oil and gas industry is back. We are getting a lot of engagement from, from DC. Uh, they want to talk to us again, yeah. which is great. But it's also kind of a little bit of reminding them, hey, we've been here the whole time. We, you know, uh, you can't just come to us when you, when you feel like you need us. So we've been busy. In fact, I was just up in DC um, on Monday. Uh, meeting with DOE, uh, talking about you know ways we can in- increase domestic production to support um, our allies in Europe. You know, there's a lot of concern, obviously, about this winter and whether or not uh, our European allies have the supplies of of, of natural gas that they're going to need to get through the winter. So you know, uh, and, and I, we'll we'll go. We, I know we have a guest in the room. I like to leave our guests on red, as they call it, as the millennials call it, as long as possible here. But throughout this interview, you know, I would love to touch on how the council is really ramped up their policy efforts and what you guys have done because it's a lot you guys have always done a lot but as you said it's it's i don't know if it's ever been more important really the 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 meshing of you of traditional versus energy the transition if you want to call that so of how they blend so let's i'm sure there's going to be a lot of opportunities um you know in this interview to to talk about that stuff but should we should we bring him in or just keep him here for a little bit longer? Let, let's take him off red. I'll go ahead and introduce our, our guest today. Uh, it should be a great discussion. Tim Matthews, uh, he is like a board member of the Carbon Neutral Coalition and is CEO of Cosario Corporation, a Houston-based CCS company founded in 2021. He has 20 years of experience in a variety of technical project, business development, and leadership roles, all within uh, the energy sector. Tim, it's great to have you here today. Great to be here. Thank you. So before I we, should uh, let you yeah. know, Cozero is how it's uh, pronounced, okay. and I should did I, not uh, tell you that. So Cozero, Cozero, Cozero. yeah. Where is it? Where does it come from? Cozero is uh, so. This is a kind of a geeky start, but <laughs> it, 
I um I I love uh, theology Kay. and starting off in my uh, when I started the pivot into energy transition, uh, I knew we wanted to deal with the CO2 issue. I knew that was where our skill set, uh, me and my uh, co-founders, where we sat. So COZ and CO2 look l- real similar, and arrow in biblical Greek, arrow means put away. So that's put away CO2, and that's how geeky it is. That's I where, mean, that's, that's a where it started. strong name. That's, that's a great. So that's what it means to put away CO2. Okay. I mean, can we just stop the podcast now? I feel like that is, is <laughs> that encompasses a lot, right? Have you ever done a podcast before? I have not. Well, you've come to the right one to start with. I think so. So before Looking we get going to. on this, too, I was looking. You mentioned a lot of stuff that you've done, but Tim, did you have a look, chance to look at the other board members that he's a part of on this this? Uh, I did carbon neutral coalition. It's an impressive group. <laughs> it's very They're, impressive. It really is. There's you. You got you drew the short straw today because there's some real there's some real heavy hitters on that board. It's a terrific group of folks. Um, a lot of lot from energy sector, but it's broad spectrum you know that it's not everybody is just energy um corby robertson pulled that together that team together um with the objective of trying to make sure that particularly texas was competitive as we move into energy transition space there it's a group of folks not all from energy but everybody in that in that uh, team appreciates the importance that the energy sector has both in the United States and in Texas specifically to the economy. So they're they're looking to make sure that rather than being left behind in the transition, the energy sector is leading it, and that's what they want to do, particularly in Texas. I we had actually Bobby Tudor is one of your fellow board members on that. He was here last week actually, and that was a nice interview for him. Or we had a nice interview with him, I should say. And it's I again I when I but I didn't really look at the group until I went back and studied you there is that's a it is it's very diverse it's very oriented to Texas and Houston the Roberson family's been around here a long time I like to see that and I know that Leslie um, is you know very adamant that Houston is going to play a key role in the solution and you know I I have changed my opinion on the the energy in transition and the energy transition and I'm an oil and gas guy right that's what I came from and I am still uh, but man, I've really become a big proponent of the studying and the learning of the transition. And I love to see guys like, and families like the Robersons and, and your family and your group and the Tudors and all these people that are smart, traditional incumbent, as, as actually Bobby Tudor calls it, mm-hmm. um, getting involved in this. Because if you're not getting involved in this and learning about it, you're going to be left behind. And I don't want yeah. that for a lot of our, I'm sure, mutual friends and colleagues. I think so. Yeah. yeah. That's important. It would, there's a, a number of, uh, in the the 20 years I was with up in upstream oil and gas, the the relationships and uh, that that I built in that um, in that sector, there's so much. There's so many folks that are skilled and care about this issue, and there is a there's a level of concern in in the I guess the incumbents as Bobby called it. There's mm-hmm. a level of concern that if if the company or companies that you're in don't have a strategy to pivot, they're not ready to, to act, then that's not going to affect not only the company's well, welfare, but the welfare of the folks that are in those companies. And so I've, I think e- there's even a groundswell within corporate, corporate America and upstream oil and gas to encourage 
leadership in the in the uh, oil and gas sector to make sure that it's more than a more than words that there's a strategy that's being enacted. And Tim, I'm I'm totally crushing your preparation here. You can tell which Tim's done all this prep work and I'm killing it. But when you say groundswell in corporations, do you almost even mean in the employees of corporations? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. agree with that. Yeah. That's what I'm at least that's what I've seen in the my group. Well, what do you think about so obviously when you when you, when you with the goal of carbon neutrality, you have kind of two competing interests. You have everybody wants to get there. Um, but on the flip side, energy demand is also increasing all around the world. So how do you do that? How do you achieve carbon neutrality at the same time that you have energy demand increasing? You have folks in India and China uh, and Southeast Asia. They want to they want to live a middle class lifestyle. They want to uh, drive cars. They they want to get have everything we have. Uh, so that's going to keep that's going to continue. That, that demand is going to continue. How do you how do you reach carbon neutrality with with that going on at the same time? Those two competing interests. Yeah, I I, th I think the way that the way that globally we're heading is the way to get there, which yeah. is there's a realization that there's not one home run that's going to solve the problem, right. that there's nothing that's going to happen immediately, that we're not going to be rescued from the challenge. Um, and we have, a, we have a trillions of dollars in, in energy infrastructure that's brought prosperity. And uh, I, I have um, seen that both personally and globally in communities in which companies I've worked with operate. Th things are different when the energy situation changes for the right. better. So I, I don't think that we have any hope of moving in the direction of carbon neutrality unless we acknowledge at the same time that you can't drop everything that we've done. Mm -hmm. We've got we've to move in the direction of carbon neutrality using, taking advantage of in investments that have already been made, of skill sets that have already been built. And, and that's where I think the, uh, the, CARP, the um, CCS component of, of the, you know, kind of there's, if you look at four legs of a stool, mm -hmm. may maybe, you know, there's, there's renewable, we need to move to renewable power. Uh, we need to switch to fuels that are low carbon. We need CCS to to capture emissions from existing energy sources right. rather than releasing them. And those are these, these elements together with efficiencies in, in existing processes are the, if all four of those don't work in combination, I, I think personally it's very difficult for me to see how we could make progress. If you're willing to invest in all four simultaneously, I think you can maintain quality of life, you can maintain energy infrastructure that exists and therefore make sure that we're taking care of the folks that need it today while but not staying stagnant so so how does the carbon neutral coalition fit into all this tell me a little bit about the organization its goals and uh and how you're trying to move move forward with that yeah, okay. the the carbon neutral coalition as as you mentioned already is it's a um it's a terrific group of diverse uh, diverse backgrounds uh, business businesses and industries across uh, across the spectrum. There's, it's an upstream oil and gas um, focus, but there's there's multiple industries represented. It's not, it's bipartisan. It's not a particular. It's not a political movement at all. Mm. Um, and the objective of the Carbon Neutral Coalition is simply to make sure that, uh, particularly in Texas, where the oil and gas sector has been. <coughs> so important to the health and development of the state that that it's ready to transition 
with that the oil and gas sector is ready to transition and compete in an in a new environment and w- the environment where oil and gas is a major but not the only uh, solution to energy s- energy needs so that's that's what we're doing with the with the carbon neutral coalition is working working up uh, policy proposals that we can then uh, I guess, lobby with the legislature in Texas to make sure that Texas stays competitive. Did, am I, did I hear that right, that you're, you're saying that with the focus of oil and gas being a major component of that transition? Yes. Okay, so it's not... Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, the, the, the intent is, it's a recognition, and one of the things that I uh, appreciate most about being involved in the, in the Carbon Neutral Coalition is there's an appreciation that all of the skill sets needed to transition to the new energy economy exist in upstream oil and gas. So that's where that's where you go. That that should be the engine of mm-hmm. the transition should come from upstream oil and gas uh, and downstream oil and gas, the whole sector. And that's what they're what they're acknowledging is, hey, we want we've got this extreme strength in Texas uh-huh. in this in this sector how do we how do we make sure that rather than it being dispersed uh, Texas can be a place where this this centralized expertise centralized capability is actually deployed in parallel to continuing to supply oil and gas energy via oil and gas and to making sure that that's a cleaner and cleaner uh, process uh, for Texas and obviously the U.S. economy as well. Can I just step back on a question? I probably jumped ahead of uh, early on because that espresso hit me right when we started talking. <laughs> <laughs> but you're, you you seem to have, and I'm I'm looking at your um, your bio. You come from the oil and gas business, so you're yeah. coming from that foundation into the world of carbon neutrality, right? What upstream. was your experience upstream? You're an upstream guy? Yes. Uh, I was upstream 20 plus years, upstream oil and gas. Uh, I had the opportunity to work um, really across the upstream value chain. So exploration, development, projects, production, uh, marketing, gas and power, distribution. Um, So that's my background. And that's where you get, where I think I've, um, been blessed with the opportunity to see skill sets across that that uh, upstream spectrum that apply directly, uh, whether whether you're in the power sector or whether you're in the exploration sector, or anywhere in between. Um, one of th- one or more of those four legs of the energy transition stool uh, is touched on. Mm-hmm. So that's that's where I I felt like this was a natural. It's a very natural step for me, and I, my hope is that. Um, it, you can see it in some of the comp- energy companies seeing that and making the move, and also energy professionals doing the same. Well, and that's so important because when you talk about Texas being, being the leader in energy, we have the, the, the intelligence here. We have the, the background folks that have, that have really done these kind of projects at scale, and then we also have the physical infrastructure. So we need, it's, it, makes, it makes sense that we continue to lead you know, the energy industry in whatever direction that goes. Um, you know, it's. It, I've had some conversations with some policymakers, um, maybe on the on the uh, you know who who generally are against the oil and gas industry, who have said that they are opposed to CCS for that very reason because it's going to extend, 
you know, fossil fuel infrastructure. Um, but they're starting to come around. I've noticed, uh, you know, with, with the energy security debate that has happened over the past couple months, you know, some of those folks that maybe used to be in that camp are starting to come around. Mm -hmm. Have you seen that um, as well? And maybe there's a little bit more, um, a, a, little, a little bit more, a bit more, uh, a little bit a little bit more ability of those folks to come and back to oil and gas and say okay we understand what you have to offer in this debate uh come join us are you, are you seeing that as well to some extent i have yeah um and <coughs> that's encouraging that you say you're seeing that too yep. because i think the the lead will come from policymakers like mm -hmm. it does in the fiscal setting right so the fact that you're seeing that is a, a big encouragement to me right the um the, the views that you describe, whether it's whether it's far left or far right, yep. um, I think hurt. Right. They on either side of the aisle, they hurt the transition. Um, and so, where when you're a, as you move towards a both a visionary and pragmatic view of the energy transition, I think you can get somewhere where you yep. you have a the goal is the goals are aggressive. They will require investment. They will, they will come at a cost that society needs to be willing to pay. That's the vision piece. But the cost for the cost to be minimized, for the, for the transition to be successful and not come at great pers uh, personal as well as national cost yep. requires some pragmatism. And I think around whether you're center left or center right, you can start to get your arm, I think you can get your arms around those dual objectives. And so I'm glad that you're seeing it. Right. That, that t tells me if you're seeing that, we'll start seeing that uh, very shortly in, in the business sector as you're trying to build projects. You should start to see some of that. Speaking of policymakers, um, so Inflation Reduction Act, President just signed it yesterday. Uh, one of the things I always hear about, you know, CCS is it, you know, the technology is there. It's getting better every year. It's just not economical. So, so maybe the government needs to come in and bridge that gap and make it economical. Um, and some folks will say, well, we shouldn't be picking winners and losers. But the truth is the government is spending, has spent, you know, trillions of dollars uh, on, on particular, you know, supporting different kinds of energy. CCUS seems like it's, it's a really good bet. Um, so there's, there's, there's some changes to 45Q in the Inflation Reduction Act, uh, increases the payments that the government will make. Do you think that's going to be enough to bridge the gap? Do you see invest, investment really flowing into CCS um, in the coming, coming years because of this? I, I think this, uh, the Inflation Reduction Act is something of a game changer in the U.S. for CCS. The, the difference between, you know, in the previous administration, they finalized the 45Q at $50 a ton. Mm -hmm. That opened up a, a subset of projects in the U.S. But if you're thinking about kind of in the U.S., how many places can you do CCS? Mm -hmm. uh, that was, there maybe less than 100 projects would be purely economic at, at uh, $50 a ton. At $85 a ton, um, you've gone up into the thousands of potentially economic projects. So that's what it does, is it, it makes the target box, if you're looking at an economic proposition as a business that needs a to make sustainable investments, mm -hmm. um, it goes from being a, a either a pure cost or a subsidized cost to, in many cases, being at least a, a, a cost-neutral or even um, 
small return generating opportunity. So I do think since the in the companies that we talk with at Cozero, um, across sectors, it's methanol, it's ammonia, it's uh, hydrogen, um, renewable diesel, you see they're all looking at uh, carbon um, reduction mm -hmm. and they're trying to make a decision about what's, the, what's a prudent investment for their business and when. And what this will do, I think, is two things. One is it moves a lot of them from subsidized cost to moderate return or better. Mm -hmm. Um, so it'll move it into the from competing with uh, ESG type pure ESG plays mm -hmm. to competing for capital with some of the investments they might otherwise make. Mm -hmm. Great move. That will flood the market with potential opportunities, I think. Um, so I, I think that transition is really important, and it doesn't it doesn't solve all of the problems. You can't decarbonize every site. Right. Uh, sectors like PowerGen, um, which is uh, more than a quarter of U.S. point source emissions of mm. total emissions come from PowerGen. That's still that's going to be case by case how that looks. Um, refining similar, but these are very large sectors that are now in play, whereas they wouldn't have been in play um, two months ago or two weeks ago. What else does the government need to do? I mean, uh, I hear permitting is a big issue. Uh, for some of these projects, you know, there's the potential that we could see a, a federal permitting reform package come, you know, in the fall. I, I'm, I'm not so optimistic. I think the, the politics may not line up there. But um, is, is that another issue with, with, with a lot of the, these projects is really getting the permitting in a timely manner? I, I think that that is an issue. Um, the For CCS specifically, yep. classics permitting is a you know, if you can go through that timely, 18 months is a reasonable expectation for how long it takes. Um, and that's if you're, you're lined up and you kind of have your, if you know what you're doing and you have your ducks lined up, the EPA is really not, has not historically been set up to receive hundreds of class six well applications, which is what I expect it will receive um, with, with this change. So I think there is a, a permitting step that the, the federal government and in states that are taking on primacy, like Louisiana, um, where the state governments will need to be able to um, staff up these the, the permitting organizations to make this go. But I wouldn't say permitting necessarily, has, in my mind at least, and in my experience, um, has been a red flag. It's just, it, it's not as quick as you'd like it to be. Right. But if you, if you do your business well, then it's it's okay. You know, there's only two there's only two CCS projects in the U.S. that are pure CCS. Everything else is EOR. Uh, one's in Wyoming, Shoot Creek, ExxonMobil Shoot Creek, and then there's the ADM Decatur uh, plant in Illinois. Those two are the only two pure CCS plays um, at the moment. Uh, I was involved with the Shoot Creek permitting and design, and that uh, was a process. It mm -hmm. wasn't a quick process. But it, it wasn't an insurmountable issue. So I, I kind of see permitting as being a facilitator. That's an enabler that I think it'd be great when the federal government uh, and state governments can make some steps to simplify and to smooth that over. It's only going to help. But the real issue has been whether or not a project is, is a, an economic value proposition or a, can a company really afford to deploy that much capital into something that's not return generating. And so I think they've addressed that more effectively with this change in, uh, with the IRA. So 
Go ahead, Tim. No, go ahead. Well, really, I, if you were going to move on from that point, I don't know if you are or not. I just want to make sure, I, I don't know if I mentioned this on air or off air, that that's one of the specialties of the workforce is how much time and attention that Tim and Leslie and the entire team are paying attention to the policy changes. So I, I, I said I wanted to make a special note <laughs> that if you, it, you truly, I mean, I, I don't know how much the audience is aware of how much work the energy workforce is actually doing in this front on the policy side. So for more information, I mean, just make sure you go check out the LinkedIn or Tim Tarpley's website. So that's your only plug I'm giving you today, Tim, but it is important that <laughs> the people listening do understand where, because this is a complex issue. There's a lot of, you know, you can turn on any news channel and get whichever positive or negative opinion you want to hear. And at some point, it's just about like, can we decipher this information to figure out what we're looking at? And I know that you guys are doing a good job. So I just wanted to point that out, Tim. Yeah, deep thank, in it. thanks. Thanks, Josh. And I mean, also, I think it's, it's really important to remind folks, especially policymakers up in DC is, hey, when, when you're coming up with these, these, these programs, that the companies that you may think are traditionally oil and gas, the companies that are, have this technology that are out doing this work are, are, are companies that you know, are members of our council. Um, and that's really important to, to, to remind. Well, and, you know, and yeah. again, this is, this is the whole point of this podcast. This is when I get excited. Yeah. Is like, you know, it's not just people, you know, ESG, you mentioned it, like those are the early terms, right? Those are the things that kind of got this thing turned. And that's the things that either turned people on or turned people off to whatever we're talking about now. And ultimately that's just, you know, I think that's a, the entry level to some of the things we're talking about. And it is, it is people that, you know, like you, Tim, that is, uh, that are, that have experience in oil and gas and all the different segments that are saying, no, 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 we're the guys that are, and guys, girls that are making these decisions today are helping make these decisions in both policy and in infrastructure, et cetera, um, that we, we understand both past, present, and we want to help a future. So I just really do want the audience to understand that because we are, listen, I just saw the stats yesterday, Tim, we're huge in DC. <laughs> we're huge in DC and I know they're listening and I want them to understand that this is uh, these aren't just you know talking heads that these are actual people with boots on the ground um, that, that understand these in with you know intimately what we're trying to do here so yeah and everybody's on the same team you know we're all on the same team here we, we the world needs energy the United States needs energy we need to we need to make it cleaner uh, we got solutions here we, we need to, we need to all get on the same page you know that's that's important um, speaking of getting on the same page, I want to talk a little bit about Texas specifically. Obviously, Carbon Neutral Coalition, your, your Texas-based organization. How is this state doing? Uh, how is your relationship with the Railroad Commission and, and other folks at the state level? Um, you know, what do we need to do at the state level to really make, to continue to be a leader in a lot of these? That's uh, a great question. I'm, yeah. I'm very interested. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think there's, there's a number of things we would like to help the state move towards and, yeah. and I guess the context would be there's a the the economic proposition is the main hurdle to jumping into the space and that's being addressed at the federal level primarily right. but state by state there's a lot of levers that can be pulled to make a difference between if you have a project where where do you want to do that project right. one of them is where do you have the skill sets to do it Texas is very well placed right. already. So we don't really need to address that issue. Where the Carbon Neutral Coalition is working uh, very, very well, I think, with the legislative um, bodies and there's their, the connections in the, in the legislature is to build out some proposals for how to facilitate or incentivize 
projects in Texas. There's, uh -huh. there's some tax-related, uh, state and local tax-related incentives that could be applied. Right. Even within existing, there's some existing um, taxes, uh, tax laws and provisions that could be pretty easily adjusted uh -huh. uh, to, to be broad enough to affect projects like CCS or hydrogen. Right. Um, so there, some of them are tax related, some of them are permitting related. The, um, you mentioned the Railroad Commission, so we would be very supportive, are very supportive, and are pushing for Texas to seek primacy the way Louisiana has. Mm -hmm. uh, we do think that that's another example of where Texas already has all the skill sets needed to permit and responsibly permit projects like these. And so why not have it Texas projects be managed in Texas. That's a that's kind of a no-brainer for us, and, and yeah. our view would be that's an easy win and a facilitation for pace. Um, so that's another that's another one related to so some tax incentives, some policy incentives. I, I would like to see Texas um, consider. This is personal now, and we I would love to see us also look at how we might incentivize the switching to blue fuels. Uh -huh. um, that's a CCS. It's close to my heart because it's uh, if if uh, if Cozero is CCS centric, then and and we are, then the immediate adjacency is you. If you want to make a fuel blue, you need to capture that CO two and put it away. But the switching to hydrogen um, is a major opportunity that, in because of how Texas uh, is how Texas is distributed, in t uh, the emit the emitters are distributed. Right. There's an opportunity to address some of what's maybe the main issue with with a hydrogen economy, which is how do you move energy in, in a hydrogen form? And so in Texas, you have because of the concentration of emitters, uh, you have an opportunity to minimize that that transportation cost, and therefore Texas is going to be a natural logistical um, have logistical advantages in moving to hydrogen, but you s it's still a, something that needs to be incentivized, and I think the state can do that too. So I'm, I'm hopeful that as we move forward, it may not be in the first round of, of incentives that, we, that we're able to win support for in the legislature. I would still like to see us do that at some point. What, what does the Railroad Commission, do they, are they receptive to these kind of conversations? or? I, I'm not privy to exactly okay. where the uh, where the conversation is with the railroad commission. Um, there is definitely conversation about it. Uh, they, I think, are interested in doing so, from what I've gathered. But there are. It's not as simple as it, as we would all like it to be. Sure. Going to get primacy sure. and figuring out well who's the right state body. Um, I'm not sure that there's 100% alignment that the railroad commission is the right one to be. Uh, but they have all the skill sets, so it's kind right. of uh, there's there's um there's some hurdles to overcome that that uh, we find to be urgent issues because right now if you were going to do a CCS project, then um, all all else being equal, you do it in Louisiana because Louisiana is ahead on primacy, they're ahead on uh, they're ahead on containment liability. Uh -huh. um, that's another thing that they've they've offered a solution to the in industry for containment liability, um, and they've even set for their own lands. They've set some expectations for what a, a reasonable 
cost of sequestration should be. So there's, uh, there's elements that are where they just have established, it's not so much incentives, it's just some certainty around what it would your project look like. And if you have a place where you, you don't know where it, what it will look like and you have a place where you do, right. you're going to go where you, you know what it looks yeah. like, even if it's not the terms you want. You can count on those and you can't count on these. Can you, uh, on the containment liability issue, I know I've, 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 I've read a lot about that. Just can you just let our listeners know what, what, what that means? Yeah, sure. Uh, so in practical sense. Yeah, good point. Uh, so <coughs> the, the issue, of course, when you're putting CO2 away is if you're going to put it away, it has to be permanent. And so the question that raises the question, if you put CO2 away, under what's, uh, how, what's, what does permanent mean? How long how long do you keep it there and how long do you have to monitor it to make sure it stays there? And what happens if, heaven forbid, you you lose containment? Right. Um, particularly when the federal government is incentivizing you to make sure it's permanent. Right. So that's the that's the issue with liability is how do we ensure all the how do we ensure them against containment loss and how do you uh, also monitor them properly to make sure they stay where they're supposed to be? And so in Louisiana, They've, they've talked about taking on, the state taking on liability for, con, uh, for containment of CO2 sure. 10 years after a project stops. So that if you're going into the business, and I'm thinking a company like Cozero is very interested in that because we go into the business of sequestering, we're taking on, uh, we know how to do it responsibly, we're taking on the liability and happy to do so right. because that's a risk we can manage. But it, if you're monitoring something for 100 years or 500 years, uh, it just becomes a practical, practically unreasonable. Right. And so Lu Louisiana's solved that problem or offered a solution to that problem. That's the kind of thing that y just the certainty around how does that work makes a great deal of difference when you're talking with a potential project emitter and trying to offer a solution that says we can take care of your carbon uh, we can sequester it. In our case, we do it right on site. So mm -hmm. those are projects where we, we capture it on site and we put it right underground, right underneath the site. And so that's a, that has a lot of simplicity. There's no pipelines. It's, very, it's attractive in that respect to emitters. But the question comes back to, well, how, what, how do you ensure that when I get a tax credit, um, one, are you going to keep it in the ground? And two, are you insured against the possibility that you are not? Right. and for how long. So that's, those are the issues Louisiana's done, I think, a nice job of addressing. Uh, if Texas follows suit, uh, we're going to be much better placed to see projects that, um, the same projects pr progressing in Texas as we do in Louisiana. Well, I guess that's a, that, that's a call to, to arms to the legislator. Let's get, let's get this going. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, in this, and again, just kind of following up on some of the previous podcasts that we've had on the show, this what you're talking about uh, just the capturing forever it's been a topic so if people want more information we've we've actually touched on that topic in other podcasts so just kind of refer back to some earlier guests as well for yeah. some deeper conversation there too but it's, you're right that's something that when you're talking about that they were actually talking about the different the the structures underneath and how do, how do they go and where do they how because how far away do they move away from the original um the original structure right right yeah, right, exactly. And, and it's interesting also in that there is a an element of, uh, I guess, the, the philosophy that you have about how you're going carbon neutral that also influences this. When, when you when we look at Europe, the opportunity they they don't they aren't blessed with the same geology that the United States is. 
but they're not devoid of it. There's mm -hmm. many sp places in, the, in Europe where you could take the same approach and uh, where we're looking at putting CO2 in the ground directly beneath emitting sites. It's a great opportunity for them too, but, but there is a perspective in Europe that says the answer can't be blue, it, it needs to be green. And yep. the, idea that, that the idea of blue as a transition to green is much more palatable in the United States uh, than it is in, in Europe. And so that's, a, that's an issue that we're kind of facing depending on where we are in the world. Is, is, is blue a transition solution that allows something to, it's kind of, t it's a today solution. So you don't have to wait 20, 30 years to get that economic mega scale green project. That's our, our view would be, hey, do something now. Yeah. It doesn't preclude doing the thing you want to do at the end. We'd love to be all green. So sure. I, I just want to jump on, uh, that's, that to me, I, I've told Leslie and you know, and I've told Dan Pickering, who's the other host we have, and Tim today, that I'm the real winner of this podcast because I actually get to be the consistent person in this seat while you know everybody comes, you know, because everyone's busy except for me, so it's great. And, but I get to hear these different guests come in and talk about this, and one of the guests said almost what you're saying there is that look, this the problems that we face today aren't going to be solved tomorrow. Um, he said, some of these are 50-year problems. He said, so the job of, that we have today is to move it to, to the next level. And then, you know, that's a five-year issue. That's a 10-year issue. And some of the problems that we have are solutions, you know, that come up. That's a solution that can't be done until steps four through seven are done, right? And, you know, and also the money needed and, and the infrastructure. And I mean, just go down the list of or policy or whatever you want to, whatever legitimate reason or obstacle that's in the way needs to be taken care of. Um, and as he was explaining this, you just get an idea of the vastness of what we're trying to solve. Um, but at the same time, there is no reason to not start moving, to start moving. Why, you know, the, well, the first thing you said, is this a, a blue problem or is, it, is this a green problem? The best thing that I had ever heard on any of these podcasts when oil was, you know, just coming out of the minus $40, you know, that, that, low point of 2020 the guy said you know we don't have a we don't have a green problem we have a red problem <laughs> you know and i thought that was a very right. witty comment about right. where we really are with with oil and gas and ultimately it is the solutions that all of us want that i mean everybody wants clean air clean water children to grow up in healthy environments etc but we have to start and what you're describing is we have to start these projects, we have to start this policy, we have to do this. And I just, I don't want the audience to hear these things and think, well, that's not in my lifetime. I, I'm, why would I worry about that? Right. And the reality is, is, you know, because that's what our job is to do. I mean, that's what we're, that's, that's our job. I mean, we are here to do, we're smart people. We have a saying within our company that smart people do smart things. So I just, I really want to encourage those listening that don't believe in this, that maybe our skeptics, et cetera, like it's, it's time to understand that we are not going to solve the, all of these issues in your entire career. But if you push back hard enough, we're not going to solve any of them. And then you're going to wake up and, and I, believe me, anybody who wants to send me hate mail, whatever, that's fine. I don't read emails anyway, so it's perfect. <laughs> it, like we are in a position now where these things need to be addressed with smart people doing these things. And I just, I really, when I hear you talk about that, I, that's the point that as a, as a me, I have no dog, dog in this fight, right? I'm, my goal is for, to get as many people to hear your story as possible. And it is, that to me is the best point is that we have to 
start this thing and get people to understand that we have a big, there's a long road ahead of us and we have to start all of these projects now. Yeah, I, I think that- Sorry, I'm off my I think box. that, no, I think that's great. I couldn't agree more that the, um, as a new industry, this is a, a, the energy transition isn't a sector, it's kind of a philosophy, but as the, it's, spur, it's spurring these new industries. You know, Correct. There's, there's, there's a, there's a, a green hydrogen industry that's sort of coming to the fore. There's a CCS sector that's emerging. And one, one thing that um, I hope we can do differently, and certainly we are very much in Cozero, this is how our view of the world, is the scope of this opportunity to help with emissions reduction, to decarbonize, is absolutely mind-boggling in scale and everyone's heard the numbers but if depending on how you do the math it's tens hundreds of trillions Correct. of dollars that that there's an opportunity here that the world an op, uh, that the world is interested in pursuing and so when you you can run at that competitively and run into the space thinking i want blue to win or i want green hydrogen to win or i want solar power to win and completely miss the point, which is that if, if my friend in solar and my buddy in green hydrogen, if they don't win with me, we all lose. I want my That's oil and gas point. friend to win. Yeah. yeah. Right. Everyone's uh, got to win. The world, yeah. needs, the world needs energy. The world is right. – is that, that, that is a great point. Yeah. So it's just not, it's a different, mi I think we need a different mindset. And so we should be cheering on new oil developments that are carbon sensitive. We should be cheering on s solar uh, developments that work and make sense, wind. I, I mean, I, I'd, other CCS projects, I'm excited when I see a CCS project go. Um, and not because we didn't win it, but because it's like, hey, that's what we need. We need these to be working everywhere. Right. Yeah. Our market is growing. Yeah. It's working. Right. It's such a good point, Tim. You know, in, in uh, I think that's one of the the big mistakes that the energy uh, industry as a whole has done. You know, on the policy side over the past thirty or forty years, is it's always been a us versus them. It's been oh, solar's getting a tax credit. Well, we're going to attack that because we didn't get. You know, it, it doesn't need to be that way. We need a, we need all energy. Uh, because because energy demand is only increasing, uh, and it, it it yeah it, it shouldn't be that that us versus them mentality. We we need to work better together as a, as the energy industry, uh, and so I think too. you hit it right on hit it right on the uh, the head. We were talking briefly about Europe. Um, do you think you've seen a change in the European perceptions of technology like this? Certainly, the energy crunch they're in right now because of the Ukraine crisis. Uh, in fact, they're in some areas of Europe they're turning back on coal plants. So I always kind of laugh at that. Is is that's what they've they've found themselves in? Is they have to fire up the coal pl plant again? But do you see maybe a, um, a, a maybe a little a little bit of a change in their perceptions of things like CCUS, and they're maybe coming back around and saying, "Hey, we need to take a second look at this." We're we're not as well <laughs> plugged in in Europe yet as yep. as as we are here. Yeah, but. We have a number of partners and, and folks that we're talking with in Europe about projects. Mm -hmm. And I do think that I can, even in the, in the segment we're in, I can see a shift to an openness. A and what I, what I see is a shift in an openness to thinking about it differently because the crisis is real. 
and it's they're in a I mean, I mean they're in a situation none of us would ever want to be in right uh, entirely reliant on a regime that you can't rely on mm-hmm. for your for the bulk of your energy and and they so I think that the the pragmatic um, reality is if you tr- if you do want to jump to green in Europe um, it's a that's a really hard row to hoe and get off your dependence on Russian gas it's a that's a that's the slow play against a very imminent urgent need and so right. I, I do think that they will there will be an openness to thinking about things differently and more creatively mm-hmm. just because of that including well what solutions can we implement immediately how do right. I how do I get carbon neutral LNG cargos into Europe how do I right. um, how do I generate uh, hydrogen based clean um, power whether it's blue hydrogen or green hydrogen whether it's blue ammonia or green ammonia how do I convert you know if you're firing up coal plants in Europe like you as you say uh, um, then I don't know how long it will be before they start thinking about it the way Japan's thinking about it which is well if I if I'm stuck with coal then how about I start blending ammonia mm-hmm. um, and move and get my carbon intensity down um, right. with blue ammonia because I can do that soon whereas green ammonia I probably can't do it as soon generally. Right. so there's a I think there I think there is going to be opportunity um, unfor- um, it's unfortunate the situation that that people like you and I are in and where they're just paying unreasonable energy prices just to keep their their lights on right um, but I, I think that'll inspire some more real uh, Imminent solutions, and that—that's one of the advantages of CCS. Is there's no, there's no no technology to wait on, right? And there's an opportunity for the United States. There, we have a lot of that technology. Our companies are, are building a lot of that technology. We can help out our friends in Europe, and, and and then politically, hopefully, pull them away from being dominated by by being held hostage by the Russians. Mm-hmm. Um, we can get it. We can get them off that. So it's kind of a win-win for everybody. I think so too. Yeah, Tim, I have hijacked your beautiful questionnaire. <laughs> I, I don't know where where are we in this thing? Am I just is this we, like he's so organized and I know he did a good job on this and I'm like man I think I've screwed this question up I don't know where we are I'm loving the conversation but we, we've hit we've hit most of the the, the pre questions so we are just we are in uh, free flow I, this free thank flow. God we got there finally because I I didn't know where we were I I wanted to know let me go because I was actually looking at this did I want to know more about um, Cazero. Like, I know where the name came from. Love the name, but like, what exactly are you guys going to be doing then? Yeah. So, we're we formed entirely with the premise that outside upstream oil and gas, um, no sector really has the skill sets in house to decarbonize via CCS. So, so we our technical team, scientists, engineers, primarily are tasked with going outside of upstream oil and gas. We're, we're, out, we're out talking with sectors where they don't have access to this expertise or know how to get a CCS project from conception to operations. And so that, that's our mission. We, so as I mentioned earlier, I think we, we have focused on that, that target box, 45Q at $50. We started with folks where we thought they could have an economic value proposition. So we're, we're helping uh, companies in the ammonia ammonia sector, high CO2 concentration. But 
We've, we've also branched out because not everyone's looking at it as a pure economic decision. Some are saying, hey, there's a license to operate issue here. In 20 years time, if I need to have a low carbon solution, um, I can't start looking at it in year 19. I really do have to start figuring it out right now. It doesn't mean I have to pull the trigger on the, on the 100 million or the 900 million or whatever dollar project today, but I absolutely have to have optionality today. And so that's what we do is we go and talk with, uh, we're, we're helping companies do preliminary engineering on multiple, in multiple sectors okay. on projects. And then uh, ultimately we'll be partnering with those, those companies as they move into feed and FID uh, to manage their CCS, um, their CCS operations. FID. That's right. Uh, sorry, uh, funding. Uh, oh. So fi financing the project. So from, okay. from uh, front end engineering, into where the project has been funded and then can be built and into operations. And so we kind of, we saddle up next to companies acting as their partner for CCS right through the, right through the life cycle. That's what we do. And our, and our solution's always on site where we're looking at, hey, don't, let's do it here if we can. Mm -hmm. and, and so many places in the US, you can do it right beneath you. And so that's, uh, that's a value opportunity that we try and bring to our client partners because otherwise um, s pipeline solutions have their place and, and I, I don't begrudge at all, at all the, the myriad pipeline solutions where pipeline operators collect CO2 along a, a pipeline and take it away to a large scale storage site. That's a good option in many places too, but so many of our emitters, um, our emitting facilities aren't right next to a right-of-way for a CO2 line. So are they out of luck? And we'd like to say, no, I don't, I don't think so. I think, I think in a lot of the United States, uh, they can take the problem, um, we can help them take the problem on themselves rather than sort of waiting for someone to, to build something nearby. Is there a project or a company that you're not working with that you've seen in the news recently in the last 12 months? You're like, man, that's great. I like to see this. Is there something that you Get are encouraged by? Yeah. yeah, well, so the project that, uh, and not a lot of it's been released on the sequestration side, so I'm not privy to what it is, but the, the CF Industries Donaldsonville Blue Ammonia project in Louisiana mm -hmm. is a terrific example of how, I think, of how big companies um, can do something significant in the current environment, and they're, they're up in, as far as, as far as is publicly available, they're up and running with that. And that's a, they're, they're decarbonizing their, their facility and they're providing a low carbon fuel to, to um, whoever their customers end up being. Uh, they, they have a, an offsite solution, as I understand it, where they'll be taking their CO2 elsewhere. Um, great project, great scale. Um, and uh, that's the kind of thing I think we can see more of on the, on the large scale. Um, the smaller scale, uh, I mentioned two existing CCS projects. Uh, the, the, the one I didn't work on, the Decatur one, is a, a great example of a single facility with a high CO2 stream who are, they're doing exactly what we're helping folks do, which is put it right underneath them, put it away, it's clean, it's a it's a as in a clean as in a simple solution. Decatur, I'm assuming that's Decatur, Decatur Texas. Decatur, Illinois. Okay, so I was wrong. De Decatur, Illinois. In, in that, so what what makes Decatur, Illinois' geography 
the, so great for them to be able to do that. They, so that's where they don't have, they're not blessed with Gulf Coast type geology. Right. But they have geology. they have the <laughs> they have the sufficient geology to put away project volume their project volumes right on site. So that's where that's where um, I think a lot of because the press is on the press is around mega projects. You know, air products mega project and Exxon Mobil has a, a mega project planned for on the Texas side and where you're collecting volumes from many, many emitters and it's mm. hundreds, it's, you know, tens of You're talking about the project on the ship channel, the yeah. proposed, yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. Yeah, and so these are, these are very large projects and they require massive <coughs> geologic um, sort of sinks to allow them to, to do it at that scale. But if you look at an individual project, an individual site where you're emitting, maybe you're emitting 600, uh, thousand tons per annum or 1.8 million tons per annum. These are kind of average numbers for bigger projects. Uh, that, you don't need anything like the geologic blessing that the Gulf Coast has to do that right underneath you. And so wh what's great about CCS, I think there's the mega projects have their place and they can do that, that efficient collecting of CO2. And right. then, but it, it's not just for the big and it's not just for the folks that are blessed to be right next to a pipeline. Most, uh, so much of the U.S., 60% 60, 60 of the U.S. or more, um, you can, there's geologic sites that are suitable for, for project scale volume right underneath them. So you could see th there could be a world tw you know, 20 years from now where these, these facilities, a power plant, for example, is just is, 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 is burying their, their waste right there on site. Yes. Uh, in most, like you said, 60% of the United States. I th you, you can absolutely do that in, in many cases. In many cases. Right underneath. And, um, and that, you know, because when you, it's 60% of the land area, it's a much higher percent of the emissions because the emissions are congregated around Gulf Coast. And right. There's places on the East Coast and the West Coast and the Midwest where you have this, this sort of collation of, of emission sites. Most of those are, have access to geologic formations where on a site-by-site -site basis they could actually deal with it, um, deal with their emissions right there, which is why I think, I think the, the IRA is such an important piece of legislation because it it does open up for so much of the country um, there's suddenly emitters have they have an option they've got a viable option they don't have to be near a pipeline and they could they don't have to go underwater to, right. con to seriously consider decarbonizing with CCS so. so I'm obviously a policy guy and I, I ask you this question you're is so speaking of policy IRA obviously passed increases to 45Q. If you're sitting down with Senator Manchin, uh, what else does the industry need? I mean, obviously, it, you know, it, financing in, is always is important, but what else, what, what would you tell him, okay, what's what's the next step? When you're looking at an energy package next Congress, uh, you know, what, what else do you really need to really get this going if you really want to kickstart a lot of these projects? You know, I, I'm with, uh, that would have been a long answer three weeks ago. Um, right. I actually, um, personally, I think that the federal government right now, um, the past uh, the past and current, mm -hmm. in getting us to this point, they have ponied up. Mm -hmm. I really do think that if, 
if they execute as planned, as promised, then this is a, the uh, ball's in the private sector's court. Okay. And up till this point, um, I think it hasn't been. It's been primarily, hey, ball's in policymakers' court because, you know, if in, right. in our economy, we can't make this work. Right. But if you do want the, if you want the private sector to drive investment, as I think we do in this country, we want the private sector to drive it. It's, we, we like the efficiency associated with that approach. And I think that's great. I think they've, I think they've said uh, over to you, industry. So the 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 football has been handed off to you. I now you so. got to run from with a, it. That's what you're saying. From like 2016 to now, you're saying yeah. it kind of got started and then just kaboom <coughs> in the last right. three weeks, two weeks. Yeah. Well, be, because the move from 50 to mm-hmm. to 85 just opens opens it up from a tiny subset mm-hmm. to not everybody, but a large subset. So I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily go to the to um, the policymakers and say, "Hey, you need to make it work for everybody." Um, I would say, "Hey, you've you've given everybody enough impetus. Right. It's time. F- it's time for the private sector to go make the most of that and see where the see where you run into roadblocks, and then relook at policy." Mm. But right now, I think the hey, over it's to you. There. Let's go. Let's go get after it. And and I think the one area where they could help is making sure that they don't that we don't gum things up with permitting. Right. Permitting is, um, yeah, I always it, hear it's a big concern. But they've they've done all the work needed as long as they can facilitate the appropriate speed of permitting, then it's, hey, go go get after it. So you're bullish. Do you think w- if we were having this conversation a year from now, there would be a whole list of projects going on uh, with multiple companies in the field? Is that is that what we're going to see in a year or two years? I'll, I'll be confused if there isn't. Yeah. I, I will. Okay. I, I'm, I just think that this um, this works for enough places that you would fully and, and the sentiment, is both the societal expectation, the overlay of the regulatory expectations increasing that you do something, and the company's own sense of uh, corporate citizenship, uh, all of those are lining up to action. Now that now that the incentives are there, I really do th- expect that it, in the next 12 months, it takes a while to get these, glue them together. Mm-hmm. But I, I would expect 12 months from now, if we're talking, that um, we'd be saying, hey, you know, it's not 30 class six well permits the EPA has in hand, it's 300 or, right. you know, it's a, it's a multiple. Right. Well, he just gave us another great idea. We're gonna have him back on in a year. Because I want to hear a lot of this stuff is so new that it we do need to benchmark the progress, right? I mean, what because yeah. I'll be confused is a great way of saying you know what held it up was it you know the the shackles are off at, at some level? So is it government that held us up? Is it our did we get in our own way? What what was it? Mm-hmm. Right? Um, I'd like to know because we've been getting yelled at. We've been yelling at each other long enough to where if we don't start making these moves, then then whose fault is it really? Yeah. And I, I think back to your original comment about our the affinity for and connection that we have all of us in the room with with the energy sector, the you know, the oil upstream oil and gas and, and the energy sector, I would I think this is really good news for the energy sector because um, Oil and the oil and gas industry has all of the tools 
to help. Mm-hmm. And so how, how folks, if you're in, if you, um, if you make cement, this is not in your wheelhouse. You, you'll have, you now have an incentive, you have the will, you, you, you'll have access to the capital, um, but you won't have access to the skill sets. So that's where I, I would expect oil and gas professionals and oil and gas uh, companies, this is, w- this is where the industry and can really participate and really make a difference. And, and that's a, it's a whole new business line for upstream oil and gas that that's just opening up now. I'm, I don't understand if you don't, what do you mean by that? It's not in your wheelhouse. You mean the construction of? Uh, so sub the CCS um, is common technology, nothing about it that we're waiting on, but you, if you don't know how to manage sequestration properly, then you're not able to execute a project. So that subsurface management mm-hmm is is unique to upstream oil and gas. I got you saying. So you're saying it's another, right now it can be another business line for somebody who's has yeah. that expertise. If you have subsurface expertise and capability, then it's a, it's a short hop, skip, and a jump from managing the depletion of a reservoir to managing the injection of CO2. Are we talking about that at all? It, it, we are. I mean, that, that's what you got to remind policymakers, and you got to make it real simple for them. You say, hey, if, if you're drilling holes in the ground, who do you want to talk to? Who knows how to drill holes in the ground and ma- and manage those holes and injection? Um, but but it, it is important because it's it's really it's it's the knowledge base that we already have that is that 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 can move into this new. Well, see, so world. I don't mind sounding a little dumb on this here. I mean, are yeah. we telling the oil and gas <clears throat> people that story as well? That there's a lot of, uh, I mean, because I always hear one of the things you said early on was there's some retraining, and, and I hear that, and I know that scares people, right? Change scares people just generally. Um, but I wonder if we are explaining it to the point of, like, look, here here's the change we're talking about. It's not, you don't have to go learn some skill set you've never heard of, you've never seen. Like, it's, it's really not that far away, and it's also going to be a long-term viable, both current and future strategy for your life and career you know like are we telling that i don't mean to kind of hijack the, the moment here but like are we telling that story to the to our people yeah i think it's i think it's a fair question i think that story needs to be told and specifically when you're talking about the ccs technology you need to also remind traditional oil and gas that it's gonna this could potentially extend our the oil and gas infrastructure for decades 100 100 years because it, it's going to make uh you able to do all these projects with very very low carbon uh, so it's it's a good story for everybody all around, and I think you're right. I think you're right, Josh. You need to you need to tell it. Right. All right. Well, and I I don't know what this this may be a little controversial. I don't intend it to be, but I think the the reality is that it's very sensitive in the as you you well know when to say hey great news we're extending oil and gas life infrastructure, mm-hmm. um, and I think that. In some cases, that will be true, um, but oil and gas infrastructure, from an investment perspective, is put in with such a long life cycle in mind. Yep. Um, what we're really doing is that stuff's going to run. Mm-hmm. So that that, and I think if I were talking to someone who took exception to CCS on the grounds that you're just trying to figure out a way to keep the oil industry going, mm-hmm. I think I, I would flip it on its head and say, no, the, the oil industry is going to be going. So the question is, 
do you want to do it well right. or do you want to do it poorly? Yeah. And, and it's, we're not extending oil infrastructure where otherwise it would disappear because the energy requirement's gonna continue to be there. It's right. simply that we're gonna do it well. Right. And that, yeah. that I think is, a, is more palatable to those on, the, those on the side of the fence that say, this is all just an oil and gas Ruse. play sure. to right. get you, your dirty industry to stay solvent. And it's like, no, 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 no. It's a fact it's gonna be here. It has to be because we care about people first and when we care about people first, we know we have to have lights on, we have to have heating, yeah. mm -hmm. we have to have all the things that make make the world work. And so th the infrastructure will be here, but we can do it better. Yeah. And now we're now we in the U.S. Uh, with the the fiscal policy framework that's set up, we can really do it well. I love it. I think it's a cool. I like that little bit at the end. I want to explore that maybe further too to just find out. Again, as we talked off camera, it's how does how do how does this? And I think you summed it up very. You know, we care about people first, and the widget matters. But how does that affect someone's life, and what difference will that make in someone's life? And if we can't explain that, then it's it, then we're not doing our job properly, right? And and it's really then we should be then then in one year we will be getting yelled at for yeah. why haven't we done anything? You right. know what I mean? Really, right. if we're not doing our job, then we're not doing our job, and right. this is a part of our job. So. Well, in, in Europe, for instance, that you, you were talking about this earlier, Tim, about the, you know, in Europe, what, what shift might we see? And, and I, I think it's when we're talking about the politics of the shift rather than the driver for the shift, it gets messy. We're like, well, oh, so this is, so we want folks on the far left to support the extension of oil infrastructure. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, no. We, the people on the far left and the far right and everybody in between can look at a family that's gonna be cold this winter and say, that's not okay. So what do we do in the next two to five years to make this different? Well, you've gotta act quickly. You've gotta be very pragmatic. And then it's not political, then it's, the driver is clear. It's like, we're not trying to, this isn't an, extending an in industry one industry over another it's simply saying how do we do the appropriate things needed to take care of right. folks who need energy and, and that then it's uh, it's nothing's depoliticized but i it kind of makes um i'm saddened when we go the, when it's described in political terms what's trying to be done because this is uh in, in depending on it's a world scale issue that yep. we're trying to address. And we're trying to address it because in the end, we care about people. And so that that's the fundamental driver for all of it is this is bad for people and bad for our environment, our home, our planet. Um, so how do we take care of it? Let's find the, the right practical ways to do that. And I think that's a, a more powerful, because it's a more, um, it, it's a more visceral rationale than the political action and who whose politics does it better line up with? It's like, it's gosh, true. if we talk about that, you're going to miss the whole point and we'll make bad decisions. Oh. Are you from Houston? No. Where are you from? Uh, that's a that's a longer. Qu I was born in Australia. I lived in California. Then I lived in. I've been in Texas 20 years, so okay. I call Texas home. Yeah, it's definitely my home. But okay. I, I'm not a, a native Texan. Are you? Have you been in Houston for 20 years? Yeah. Okay. Are you enjoying your uh, role? 
on the um, the council, the coalition, I should say. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I like for the reasons you just described. Um, this is the most fun I've ever had in my career, because the the opportunity to make things uh, different, better, um, and see the kind of movement that we're seeing. This is this is a, a fast moving space, and to be able to be involved in the CNC and and have a small part to play in influencing how policymakers could further enhance, um, make things better for people. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what they, you know, in theory, that's what I think most of them went into office to do. So that's an, that's kind of exciting to get to build it. What is the uh, the website? for the Carbon Neutral Coalition. Do you know that off the top of your head? Uh, it, it might be actually up on the screen. Is that up there, Luke? No, that's... Uh, oh, that's your website. No, yeah, that's mine. Um, I don't off the top of my head, and I, we need to... Yeah, well, uh, well he'll have it up there, there here in just a second. We so, Roku, what's up. your website for Cazaria? Uh, uh, for Cazaria's website is <laughs> www... You're good. That's all right. So, like, you, now, that you know the, now that you know the... the um, the yes. origin, you don't have to say it right. You get, we know what it is. Uh, it's a www.cozero.com is, is ours. All right. And is there anything that you would like to, I mean, we're, we're going to have the website here for the, uh, the Carbon Neutral Coalition as well. Is there anything else you want to uh, make sure people go visit before we jump off here? I think I th I'd love to see them uh, get familiar with what the Carbon Neutral Coalition is doing. And I would love, uh, I would also love to s for folks to reach out to us at Cozero if there's an opportunity for us to help them. So I, I think we we are really excited about the conversations we're already having, and uh, I think the Carbon Neutral Coalition's doing great work. 2023 is going to be big for us. So. You see it up there? It's behind me, Tim. What's that say? It's uh, it's it just went off. <laughs> <laughs> it is the CarbonNeutralCoalition.com. There, there we, we go. go. There we go. You know, it's funny. David DeRode and I host another podcast, and he, he would always – he'd come on. He'd say, www, and he'd tell whatever podcast. And our producer would in the back, he'd say, look, you're, you're letting everybody know you're old when you say www. <laughs> so anytime I <laughs> – That's a great point. Can we edit that out? Yeah. I, don't, I am old, but I don't – you know, there's no point volunteering. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, so it's always funny to me. I used to do the same, like, www. Uh, and they're like, duh, and, what the hell else would we get there? It's right? so funny. And well, my, my first email address was a dot, a dot AOL. There so. you go. Yeah. People still use AOL. It's yeah. crazy. Every I time I get one of those, I'm like, come on, man. Come on. <laughs> Yep. I remember giving a Josh Lowry at hotmail.com and t in college and the girl thought I was being rude. She's like, Oh, hotmail. And I'm like, <laughs> no, no, it's no, a thing. hotmail. M A I L. And that's how long, you know, that's oh, how okay. unfamiliar I that. hotmail was back in the day. That's how old I am. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, it has been great having you on uh, this is thank you for having me it's been fun to talk with you what do you think of your first podcast experience that was that was a blast actually really enjoyed really enjoyed the conversation so and, and thanks for having me mr tarpley's playing a little bit injured uh, i mean you're hey, you feeling okay i mean you sounded uh kind of you came in you sounded a little uh stopped up but you clicked in ready to rock and roll ready to roll yeah a Pro. gamer 100 <laughs> percent. stepped in Pro. for Les leslie's on a bit of a sabbatical this she's been working a lot so Thanks for coming in. How'd you uh, enjoy the, the co-hosting duties today? 
Enjoyed it. Uh, always enjoy talking talking about policy and energy. I mean, I think uh, CCUS is exciting. I, I, I mean, I, I get excited about a lot of this stuff, but I, I really think CCUS has got a tremendous opportunity, um, especially now we've got, you know, the government um, was, was supporting it. So I'm, I'm, I'm bullish as well. Um, and, and, and I mean, when you, can, when, you have a pol- when you have a technology that you have folks on the, re- the Republicans and Democrats can agree on, uh, you know, I think that's that's a win right there. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, they can't agree on anything anymore. <laughs> um, but CCUS does seem to have a bipartisan support, and that's that's rare these days. So, well, truly, we wish you the best of luck. We're going to put Thanks. our calendar to have you back in a year. Great. And I'd like to just get an update on this stuff. Love to. Um, and I'll I'd love to not be embarrassed when I by coming back and telling you that it did explode just like we thought it would. It but, will. But it we'll, will. Uh, I mean, passion we'll you know. carries the day. I think so. And it sounds like you are full of it, and it sounds like just there's, look, there's a mission, and it's more fun to run with a mission than there is just for profits. I mean, profits you you run out of energy on profits. Wow, did you read this? That's what we t- that's where what we say at uh, Cozero is. Hey, we are we are mission and value driven. We're profit conscious, but we're mission and value driven because it's a lot more fun. I will to give work you that way. one hint. I didn't make any of these notes. I'll give you one hint if I actually read that on your website. No, I didn't. But sweet, I love it. <laughs> I, I do love. Well, to then hear you that. just it was a great setup because that's that's why we're having so much fun. I think is because it's there's a lot more to it than just checking checking your your finance your balance sheet. How did, how did we get a hold of you? By the way, did you Leslie grabbed you and pulled you into this. Yeah, through through the uh, was it Lauren was who I was working with in there. So Carbon Neutral Coalition has a uh, a group that kind of manages their both their uh, PA their public affairs and okay. also helps with some of the work they do in Austin. Okay, and um, so they had I think linked well, us up. Tell Lauren, thank you. This was a good get. And Leslie, by the way, if you're she'll be listening to this, we appreciate her connecting us with this too so great guests we've done a lot of these and you are i I can tell you're going to win so we appreciate your time well thank you for the time great to meet you both excellent anything for you tim last last bit appreciate stopping by always always happy to come by all right well let's that'll wrap us up here thank you for joining us today on the energy and transition podcast if you have any questions complaints again you can send them to me i won't read the complaints i will read the good mail Uh, i can somehow decipher between the two pretty quickly uh, look us up on all our social media. We are on everything from LinkedIn to Instagram. Um, if you have anything that you need, contact Sarah at uprightdigital.com and we'll go from there. Have a great day. Bye.